If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. In The Rose King by Andrea Stewart, writing as Morgan Huxley, Jessie's dreams are haunted by a demon lover whose attacks are killing her in the real world. This full-length audio drama performed by Deborah Rombout, Jocelyn Wright, Jonathan LeBillon, Hugo Martin, and Michael Datz will be a dark romance you never forget. A late summer Sunday on a tree-lined avenue in a small town. Well-kept houses with wide front yards sit back from the street like old folks at a 4th of July picnic. Cars roll by and people call out. Hey, Ted. Hi, Gina. Two kids race down the sidewalk on well-used bikes. Boy in front, almost nine. A girl trailing, all of seven. The boy rides with easy grace, avoiding uneven pavement and overgrown bushes with no effort at all. The girl, flushed, panting, hits every crack and branch, but struggles on. The boy looks back, smiles. A truck engine starts, and the boy looks ahead to find a delivery truck pulling out of a driveway. He smoothly curves down into the street to avoid a collision, and the girl skids to a stop. Chapter 2 Jessie, 18, all long blonde hair and long brown limbs, sleeps in a tank top and underwear, because it's the end of summer, and the heat's been baking people night and day. Her window is wide open and a slow breeze from outside brings in the sound of kids playing. A dilapidated ceiling fan directly over the bed spins unevenly as it attempts to keep her cool. Jessie dreams. In a short white dress with a plunging neckline, she works her way through a packed club. The patrons, all in black, all drinking, look at her as she squeezes past. Their eyes, all pupil and no iris, start at unsteady white pumps, climb up long legs to linger where her dress ends bump up to her breasts, then alight on her face for a fraction of a second before they lose interest. Jessie passes a stage where a sexy, half-naked lead guitarist rips through a song. Three half-naked long hairs with wolf skins thrown over their bare shoulders back him up on a second guitar, bass, and drum set. Blue lights pulse. Shadows spin. People dance in spasm. Jessie, overwhelmed, moves away. At the bar, a blonde barman with clear, bright blue eyes places a drink before her as if she ordered it. It's a crystal rose, real enough to have sharp thorns on the stem. The red wine inside it looks like blood. Fascinated, Jessie picks the glass up. Jess, are you ready? Jess turns to find the lead singer of the band towering over her. It's time to go. What? The man leans forward to whisper in her ear. You don't want to be late. Jessie gasps. She looks down and the man has buried his hand in a wound in her chest. She pulls back, twists to and fro, but his hand remains deep inside. Thick red blood pours down her bright white dress. It's time to wake up, baby. It's time to go. Jessie's eyes fly open. As she sits up, her hand comes to the center of her chest. She can't breathe. Honey, are you ready? It's time to go. Thomas, Jessie's attractive 50-something father, opens the door. Baby? 
Jessie holds up her hand to stop his approach. Gasps. Gasps again. At last she can speak. I... I had a nightmare. Thomas stares at his daughter with baffled concern. Are you okay? Jessie is panting as if she's just run a race. You had a nightmare? What a rotten dream. You need some water? Jessie shakes her head, then puts her hand up to her head as if she's already had an exhausting day. Then she catches sight of the clock. 9.30? They'll be here any second. They are here, baby. They're downstairs. Oh, God, I can't be late. I'll get the upper bunk for sure. Jessie dives out of bed, starts pulling on socks, shoes, jeans. Do they even have bunks? I don't know. Thomas looks around her room a little wistfully, then back at her. Don't you have an alarm clock? No. Well, I do have one on my phone, but I forgot to set it. What will I do without you, Dad? Can you just call me every morning and make sure I get to class on time? I doubt your roommate would enjoy that. Who cares? I don't know them. Jessie's all dressed now, and she looks at her dad. I'll come home every weekend. (laughs) No, you won't. But there's always email on the phone. And that's what little girls do, Jess. They, They grow up. I'll be okay. Jessie grabs her purse. All your stuff's already in the car. You tell those girls not to drive too fast. I love you, Dad. And then Jessie's gone, sliding out the door, running down the stairs, on her way to university. Thomas looks after her, then back into her room. I love you too, kid. Jessie, Amanda, and Barbara are rolling down the road to the state school in a big red Volkswagen convertible with white leather seats. Jessie's in the front passenger seat, her eyes narrowed against the wind, one hand holding her hair down. She pulls down her shirt a little to show a bruise flowering over her heart. Barb's driving. She's the sexy one, platinum blonde, big bust, too much lipstick, and bright red fingernails. She's wearing the kind of short-skirted Catholic schoolgirl uniform that makes the boys squirm. You have a bruise from a bar you went to in a dream. Wow, that's a stigmata, right? Like nuns get. Nuns? Amanda's the smart one. She's in the back seat, reclining and reading a textbook. Long, dark hair, big glasses, a slender figure in shorts and a t-shirt. Amanda has her long legs crossed at the ankles and propped in the window. If a truck goes by, she'll cause an accident. Amanda sits up and leans over the seat to have a look. She's talking about the wounds saints get on their hands and feet. She saw a movie once with a nun in it. However, what you've got right there is just a big, fat, ugly bruise, which I don't believe for one minute you got in a dream. I bet she's got a secret boyfriend who beats her. Amanda sits back in her seat. Way more likely than that dream thing. I must have bumped into something last night when I was packing. I wasn't there when I went to bed. I'd be afraid to sleep if I woke up with crap like that. Then again, maybe your dream boy has other tricks. There are other parts he can pound. Now you're creeping me out. That makes us even. Get over it. Jesse bumped into something and forgot. It happens. What did the guy look like, anyway? The guy who killed me? Cute. Really cute. Lots of cute boys in that dream. There was this blonde guy behind the bar. He gave me a glass rose. Now that seems more like it. What's a few bruises from some sexy friends? Amanda doesn't look up from her book. A beating? Jessie wrestles an exploded suitcase down the dorm hall. Clothes threaten to spill at every step, and she peers at each door, trying to discern its number. At last, she reaches her door, fishes in her pocket for a key, then inserts into the lock. It won't turn. She tries again, and again. Need some help. 
Without waiting for a reply, the tall, attractive blonde man takes her key and opens the door. He steps back to find Jesse staring at him. Don't worry, I'm not a stalker, just your friendly neighborhood residential assistant. Jesse studies the man. He's wearing blue jeans, a button-down shirt, a red sweater, leather loafers. She doesn't know him, but everything about him is familiar. She stares at his eyes. They are bright, clear, crystal blue. Have we met before? What? This is going to sound crazy, but I think I just had a dream about you. Have we met? The guy stares at her for a long moment. (laughs) Whoa, little girl, this is the worst delivery of a pickup line I have ever heard. Pickup line? I'm a grad student, honey, and you are, what, six? Seventeen. Eighteen at the end of the month. Well, keep giving strange men lines like that and you won't make it to eighteen. You can't just pick up strangers here in the big city. I just asked if we'd met. No, little girl, we haven't. Nick walks down the hall and Jessie's eyes follow him. Red-faced and irritated, she walks into her room and slams the door hard. Jessie and her roommate Kat are lying on side-by-side beds in the narrow dorm room. Kat, all black spiky hair, black clothes, and silver chains, is flipping through a chemistry book. Jessie is sifting through photocopied orientation pages, tossing about half of them in the trash. Around them, on Kat's side of the room, are pentacles and pictures of a goddess. Tarot cards litter her bed. I'm so glad we're doing that unisex shower thing. That is so cool. Yeah, great. Dozens of men just a few feet away when I'm taking a shower? That's just what I need. You got something other girls don't? A fear of being naked in front of 50 guys? What if they steal my robe? Aren't we all sky-clad under our clothes? You wear a bikini at the beach. There isn't much difference between that and nothing at all. And anyway, there's a hook on the inside of every shower door. I think I'll just use the girls-only bathroom in the West Wing. Because the shared one right outside the door is way too close. And you'll show way less skin walking 200 yards in your bathrobe each and every morning to wash your hair. Cat smiles. I bet that R.A. Nick or whatever will use the men-only showers on that side. He has a corner room in the West Wing that goes with a job. Maybe you and he will have that special chance to bond. Now that you mention it, I'll just shower across the hall. I'd rather strip for guys who don't already think I'm a slut. (laughs) That's what you get for telling someone that you saw him in a dream. Honesty is never the best policy. Didn't anyone ever tell you that? You know, people do have dreams that come true. I didn't invent it. Hey. As your friendly neighborhood witch, I'm pulling for you. Two guys in one sexy dream, one of them's real, maybe the other guy is too. God, I hope not. I don't think it sounds too bad. Nick the RA didn't give you blood in a rose. Maybe the other guy won't try to rip your heart out. And if you think those two are too much to handle, just give them to me. There's a knock at the door, and Cad rises to open it. There's a delivery guy standing there with a dozen mums. He holds out a tiny card. Cat takes the card and the flowers. The delivery guy walks away and Cat lets the door shut. She reads the card. They're for you. Jessie rises, takes the flowers, and puts them on her desk, which makes it useless for anything else. Those are some big, stinky flowers. Will they be living here long? Can they pay rent? They're from my dad. In a little while, I'll put them out in the lounge for everyone to enjoy. I've never seen that many. What are those? Moms. They remind me of my mom. Jessie caresses the blossoms. 
Cat reaches over to turn on a fan that is bolted to the windows. It begins to spin lazily. Cat gets back onto her bed. You know what? We're gonna get along okay, you and me. You're kind of a freak. Chapter 3 It's midnight, and Jessie is alone in her dorm room. She's dreaming. Jessie sits on the edge of a table. A hundred feet below, in the darkness, she sees a dilapidated pleasure pier that stretches out into a stormy sea. One corner of the pier has collapsed, and the ferris wheel has tumbled into the water. It lurches violently in tempo with the heavy swells. The roller coaster has crumbled and the funhouse has become a pile of mirrored shards. A huge plaster clown, once mounted to the side of the pier, now dances like it's drowning under the waves. Jessie looks left and right. She appears to be in a school library. The table she sits on has three legs on the carpeted floor. The fourth hangs over the abyss. This is crazy. It's inevitable. Jessie turns to see the guy who murdered her in the bar holding the far end of the table down so it doesn't tip. You found me again? You found me, but I wasn't missing. Jessie recoils as he approaches her, sliding his hand along the table to keep it steady. This is just a dream. He is close to her now. His free hand comes to her neck and he pulls her into a long, slow kiss. He pulls away, looks into her eyes, and lets the table drop. Jessie sits up in her dark dorm room and her hand flies to her neck. Once again, she can't breathe. Panic sets in. A rattle at the dorm room door brings her head up. Kat stumbles in, drunk, weaving. She turns the light on and sees Jessie gasping. Are you okay? Jessie finally gets a breath. A second, then a third. Jeez, do you want me to call an ambulance? Jessie shakes her head. Just a... a bad dream. Kat sits on her bed, watches. After a moment, she leans over to pull Jessie's hand away from her neck. Kat stands up to study what she sees. A long, wide welt travels from Jessie's neck down to her chest. It is already turning purple. Kat steps back, shakes her head, and starts getting undressed. That's a real nightmare, all right. I'm not judging, but I don't want boys like that around our room. What do he hit you with? A belt? I don't know what you're talking about. Jessie climbs out of bed, opens a closet door, and looks into the mirror. Kat moves to look in the mirror with her. Seriously, Jessie, that is way too far. You really have to tell him no dice. Jessie spins around. I had a dream. Kat steps back and turns away. Yeah, well, my bullshit detector just went off. No, really! Kat ignores her, struggles out of her clothes and into a nightshirt, turns off the light, then climbs into bed. Well, a girl doesn't have to be a psychic to know that whatever dream boy you're seeing is bad news. Jessie is left standing in darkness. Jessie walks into a campus eatery. She glances at a TV showing silent news coverage of a collapsed pleasure pier in Los Angeles. The head of a giant plaster clown has made it to the beach. A broken ferris wheel juts out of the water. The scrolling text under the video says, Three found dead in the surf near Derelict Pier. Jessie examines a bulletin board filled with tutor postings. There are only two math tutors. Nick, located in a Dietrich dorm, has a two-page flyer and guarantees results. The other guy has a handwritten page he can't read. Jessie glances down at the math test in her hand. D+. plus. She shakes her head. What the hell? Kat sits behind Jessie on her bed. 
She has pulled Jessie's hair back, and she's examining a now fully developed bruise that flows down Jessie's neck to just over her heart. How'd you get this again? I had a dream. The answer isn't going to change no matter how often you ask me. There's a knock on the door, and Jessie rises to open it. Barbara and Amanda enter. Ready? Let me get my sweater. What happened to your neck? I had another dream. Again? Look at that. You should go to a doctor, Jessie. This has happened before. She actually has dreams that do this. She should go to the doctor. For a moment, Kat, Barbara, and Amanda all contemplate the idea that Jessie might be doing this to herself. Is there another rational explanation? I have an idea. Sit down. Without waiting for a sign, they'll comply. Kat reaches up to pull a box off the top of her closet. In a second, she has a spirit board out and on her bed. She kneels on the floor and places a finger on the wooden pointer. Come on, each of you, put a finger on. If it is some kind of creepy supernatural thing, this thing will tell us. Our movie's gonna start. It's a horror movie. Come on, you you got five minutes. Jesse, Amanda, and Barbara reluctantly seat themselves. Touch the disc, just one finger each. The girls comply. Okay, let's see. Spirits, is Jesse lying? Is she doing this to herself? Nothing happens. Jessie takes her finger off and sits back. I'm not. It's moving. The pointer slides to no. Put your finger back on. Jessie complies. Barbara takes her hand away. You know, actually, I, I don't want to do this. Come on, come on, come on. One more question. Barbara slowly moves her hand back to the disc. Dream lover, who are you? The pointer does nothing. Jessie, take your hand off. Why? I think you're stopping it. Jessie moves her hand away. The pointer starts to move very quickly. R-O-S-E. Rose. K-I-N-G. Rose King? Amanda stands up. This is some kind of sick joke. She glares at Kat. I know Halloween is coming up, but this is in really poor taste. I, I didn't I came for ice cream and a movie. All right, all right. My God. There is no spirit world. That's all a bunch of junk. How about a collective unconscious, Professor? Sometimes the group mind knows something that the individual does not. Amanda walks to the door, opens it. Barbara follows her. Coming, Jess? Jess rises, grabs a hoodie, arranges the collar and thrown back hood to hide her neck. See you, Kat. Thanks. Later. Jesse, Amanda, and Barbara walk out the door. Kat stares at the spirit board. Screw you, Mr. Rose King. You're a bad'un. Chapter 3 Jesse sits to the right of Nick at one of the study tables in a dorm lounge. She's wearing her hoodie again. He's dressed in jeans, a shirt, a sweater, and tie. His sculpted features, bright blue eyes and round-framed eyeglasses make him look like everyone's idea of the sexy professor. Jessie's contemplating a page of math homework, a huge textbook open before her. I don't understand. I used to be good at this. Everyone here used to be good at math. Good just isn't good enough anymore. I guess not. As Jessie leans over to put her math book in her bag, her hoodie gaps and shows the side of her neck. Nick's expression is hardened by the time she sits up. He starts packing up as well. So, how are you making out? Have any new friends? Some. My roommate, Kat. 
I guess I don't need to meet as many new folks as others. I have friends who graduated with me and who are going here as well. You probably met Amanda and Barbara when we were unpacking the car. Guys taking any interest in you? Should they be? Why not? You're pretty enough. Jesse stares at Nick for a long moment. I'm not seeing anyone, if that's what you're asking. Nick says nothing, then reaches out to move her hoodie away from her neck. So, how'd you get that? That? It's nothing. I... I was studying late. I put my head down. I guess my neck fell across the edge of a book. That is some bad book. I'd throw it away if I were you. Looks like that. Well, you know, you just never know how they'll end. Jesse stares at him. Nick stands up. Jesse rises more slowly. Take me to dinner. What? Walk me down to the food court and get me some dinner. I haven't eaten since breakfast, and I don't want to walk there and back all alone. You're my residential assistant, so do some assisting. You just want to eat, right? It's not a date. I don't date little girls. I'm 18. And I'm 26, babe. You are just a little girl. And you don't date those. Exactly. But dirty old men like you. You still eat, right? The dentures work? Uh, I mean, am I likely to meet that book who beat you up? Not that I mind. I'll beat the shit out of him for you and call the police. But I need to know, is that what we're doing? Jesse says nothing for a long moment. I just want food, Nick. Get me dinner, I'll tell you what really happened. Nick follows Jesse up steep stairs that pass through a densely planted hillside park. Dietrich Dorm towers above them. Jesse is white-faced with anger. So some guy beat you up in a dream. Why am I not surprised? Why did you ask me to tell you the truth if you aren't prepared to believe me? Why did you offer to tell me the truth if you were just going to lie? They walk out of the bushes to emerge alongside the dorm pool. Just dark, because it's almost midnight. Jesse slows down a bit and Nick gets closer. If you want to date jerks... Jesse shoves Nick hard. He has just enough time to drop his book bag on the deck before he hits the water. Jesse walks to the edge of the pool. You know what? You've called me a liar, a slut, and a little girl 400 times tonight. I'm none of those things. You're just a jerk. I told you the truth and screw you if you don't believe me. I don't really care what you think. Nick bobs in the deep end, wipes the water from his face. He looks first at his book bag and then at her. Now that is a $4,000 laptop in that bag. It's a good thing it didn't make it into the water, don't you think? And let's hope the fall didn't break it. You're lucky I don't kick it in. Jesse starts walking towards the open door to the dorm on the other side of the pool. Hey, wait. Jesse stops, turns back, and looks at him. He swum to the side of the pool. What? Help me up. Come on, I can't see the ladder. Jesse walks over, reaches down, grabs his shirt and pulls up. Nick grabs her hand and jerks her in, book bag and all. Jesse comes up sputtering. Nick is face to face with her. So, little girl? I am not a little girl. I'm 18. Of course you are. You're every minute of 18. Maybe even a few seconds older. Then he kisses her. Then she kisses him back. Jesse and Nick are in bed in his corner dorm room. It's small, but the 180-degree view can't be beat. 
the softly illuminated university and a city of lights are spread out below them. Jessie's head is on Nick's chest. Her eyes are closed. Nick stares at the ceiling. I wish you told me. What? Nick looks at her. Jessie smiles. I'm a slut, remember? A slut with a bad book. You wouldn't have believed me. You wanted to think I'd slept around. Made things easier. Nick shakes his head. Stares at the ceiling again. It doesn't matter, you know. It's not important. Really? Nick rolls over to look at her. This is college. University. People have sex here all the time. It doesn't matter. I mean, it it doesn't have to mean anything. Does it mean anything? I don't know. Does it? It means something. To me, at least. I don't want to buy rings or call a caterer, but it's not entirely meaningless. Jessie closes her eyes. It's not entirely meaningless to me, either. I just wish I'd known. I'd have gone a little slower. Jessie, eyes still closed, smiles. Serves you right. Remember this moment. You don't know everything. Cat watches Jessie pull clothes from a dorm wardrobe and put them in a box. Cat stands, moves to pull a sweater off a chair, and walks it over to her. Are you sure you want to do this? You haven't known him for very long. The door opens. Amanda and I are going to take this stuff down. Barbara's waiting in the car. I'll bring the last box. The door closes. You only met this guy a few weeks ago. He could be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for all you know. What's the rush? We have to move. He's not allowed to have relationships with girls in the dorm. If we stay here, he'll get in trouble. Well, that's a sign that dating him is not a good idea, don't you think? I want to go with him. I don't want life to pass me by. You're 18. Slow down. I don't want to. Nick loves me. I love him. We're going to be together. That's the way it is. Really? Jessie comes over to give Kat a hug. (sighs) Then I guess that's the way it is. I love you, Kat. You've been a great roommate. I'll miss sleeping with you. But we'll see one another on campus. We sure will. See you around, little witch. Nick opens the door to the dark apartment. Then, still in the hall, he turns to Jessie. You know, you were no help at all with unpacking. I had five boxes. You had 19. And I had class, and then we had to get dinner. While she speaks, Nick takes her hand, leads her into the apartment, turns on the light. The room is filled with roses. Hundreds of them. Oh my god. Where have I seen so many roses? Did a truck full explode in here? Nick pulls Jessie into his arms, gives her a long, hard kiss. Say you love me. Jessie closes her eyes. I do. I love you very much. Amanda and Barbara enter the room with fast food in hand. Stunned, they look around at all the flowers. Roses? (laughs) They are lovely roses, aren't they, Amanda? Barbara shoots a look at Amanda, as if to emphasize just how wonderful these roses are. They are. Well, it's an impressive display. Nick's quite the romantic, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But hey, let's eat so Barbara and I can get back to campus. I have an early class tomorrow. Amanda moves through the room to put the fast food on the table. Nick and Jesse are in bed. He spoons her in the darkness. Above them, a ceiling fan hangs motionless. 
Jesse studies a crystal glass that looks like a rose. The red wine in it looks like black ink. Jesse extends a finger to touch one of the sharp thorns that climb the stem. Nick, eyes closed, speaks. Amanda's not a rose person, is she? I guess not. I'm glad you like them. They were my mother's favorite flower. Really? She loved them. They remind me of home. That's why I bought you so many. I wanted to bring you home. Jesse stares at the glass. I love you, Nick. I love you too, kid. Jesse dreams. She's on her side, naked, body very white against black sheets. Around her neck there's a leather collar. On her wrists are iron manacles. She's lying on a man's arm. He's curled around her, kissing her shoulder. A shadow spins over the bed. Light, dark, light, dark. You like roses? Jessie gasps. Hush. Rose petals start falling, dropping like red tears onto the bed. Please. I can't breathe. I know all about roses. His hand comes between her breasts. See? He reaches inside her. He takes hold of something, pulls at it, births it through a bleeding rift in her chest. It is a rose, meaty, pulsing, still tied inside her by a network of veins and arteries that stretch until they give way. I am the Rose King. Jesse sits up. The lights are on. Nick is half-naked in pajama bottoms, phone in hand. He is watching her, frantic. Jesse's lips are blue. Her face is dead white and she can't draw a breath. She falls back again, writhing, struggling to breathe, trying to make her heart beat. Someone pounds on the door. Jesse comes awake to hear people talking. Uh, Mr. Dawson, I, I can't say for sure there's been no sexual assault, but I, but I, I see no signs at all that there was. I, I think your daughter had a, a panic attack. A panic attack? It, it would account for her uh, shortness of breath, her rapid pulse. It's, it's not co- uncommon at this age. Are, are you just saying that? Did, did you run any tests? Blood ox, pulse, all normal. We can schedule an ECG, but uh, I think it's just anxiety. New, new school, new boyfriend, new apartment. Nick, standing by Jessie's bed, brushes hair from her face when he sees her eyes are open. Jess, baby, are you okay? I, I, what happened? Why don't you let us talk to her first, son? Nick looks at Thomas, then down at Jessie. It's clear that he's reluctant to leave her, but he stands up and steps out of the hospital room to give father, daughter, and doctor some privacy. Thomas and the doctor approach the bed. Thomas lays a soft hand on his daughter's head. You all right, honey? Jessie nods. Cautiously takes first one deep breath, and then another. You don't have to be afraid. Just tell me. Was Nick hurting you? Is that what happened? Jesse presses a hand to her heart, struggles to sit up. The doctor pushes a button to adjust the bed for her. I had a dream. There was a man. He hurt me. The doctor and Thomas look at one another. You can tell us the truth, Miss Dawson. You're completely safe. There was a man, and there were roses. Roses? Rose petals falling, and then I couldn't breathe. Is this the the first time this has happened? No. No, I've had other dreams. In my dorm at home. Miss Dawson? Jesse. Sometimes the stress of going away to school, meeting new people, well, it's, it's harder than people think, isn't it? I mean, they get anxious, agitated, and sometimes they have bad dreams. It's very common. You're afraid... No, that's not it. 
It's this guy in my dreams. He's hurting me. Later, Nick sits on the edge of Jesse's hospital bed. They're alone and the lights are low. He holds her hand and caresses it as they speak. It's the only explanation, Jess. The anxiety causes both the dreams and the panic attacks. Why don't you believe me? Why don't I believe there's some dream guy stalking you? Hurting me. He's hurting me. Honey, what I do believe is that your dad is going to put me in jail if this happens again. He suspects I'm abusing you. So I think you have to do what they say, at least for a while. I don't want to see a psychiatrist. I'm not crazy. What can it hurt? You'll meet with someone, talk for a few hours. It won't help. Well, neither will moving home with your dad, and that's what he's talking about. Is that what you want? Have you and I gone too fast? Do you want to take a break? No! Well, then you'll go see someone. It's the grown-up thing to do, right? After a moment, Jesse nods. Fine. I'll do what the doctors say. Nick finds Thomas sitting in an empty hospital waiting room, his head in his hands. She says she'll go. Thomas sits up straight and looks wearily at Nick. I'm very glad to hear that. Mr. Dawson, I would never hurt her. I would never do that. She's a great kid. I'm, uh, I'm inclined to think that you didn't, son. I think she'd tell me if you had. We're close. She wouldn't lie to me. Thomas looks at his hands again. After her mom died, when she was just seven, it was a very hard year for her. Her doctors in the school said she should have counseling, but I wanted to put it all behind us. I took her places, and we played games, and school started, and she made new friends, and she seemed happy again. I thought, people go on. Don't they? For the most part, they do. Her mother was sick for so long, fading away. There were so many doctors and there was nothing they could do. It was a degenerative disease, a a long slide into darkness. Then an accident. She watched it all. My mom died when I was 19, Mr. Dawson. It was very hard. My dad and I and my brothers were not over it. For a little kid, it must have been much harder. Well, Jesse seemed to understand. People die. It happens. Sometimes they're young. Sometimes they're old. Sometimes it's too fast. Sometimes it's far too slow. People are here today and gone tomorrow. She seemed to accept all that. And then one day it, it hit me. I noticed she'd forgotten so much. And it seemed right to let it be forgotten. Maybe she's remembering now. Maybe I should just take her home. We can work through it together. We can talk. I can help her. If you think that's where she belongs, Mr. Dawson, then maybe that's a good idea. But she doesn't seem to want to go. Nick chooses his next words carefully. I think she does love me. I know I love her. And I think here, maybe, she can get more help. The university, the medical school, I mean, has some of the best people in the state. It's up to her, isn't it? She's all grown up now, and maybe I didn't know what was best for her. Maybe I never did. Let's let her decide what to do. Thomas leans back, rubs his face, closes his eyes, then leans forward again. 
he might be praying. Chapter 4 Jesse is sitting in the car, staring out the window at a sign that says Adolescent Psychiatric Care. She's worrying a button on her shirt. Under it, we can see a large black and blue bruise has flowered. I'm not an adolescent. From a brain standpoint, you are. Treatments for folks under 24 are different. Don't quote textbooks at me. This is the best place for you, Jess. No one believes me. Look at this thing. She tugs her shirt away from her chest. I've seen it. I told you, it was from the CPR. Jessie shakes her head and stares at the sign again. Why would I lie? What incentive do I have to lie? Honey, I love you. I don't think you're lying. Just go to the doctor and talk. I'll pick you up in a couple of hours. Jessie nods, waits a moment, then climbs out of the car and closes the door. Resolute, she walks towards the psychiatric offices. Nick pulls away from the curb. The psychiatrist is a handsome thirty-something. His office is dark green and his furniture warm brown leather. There are wind chimes in the window and natural objects strategically placed around the room. Jesse's eyes touch on a little stone fountain on a coffee table, a tiny tree, and a bowl of seashells. Can you tell me when you first had one of these dreams? At home. Right before school started, I had one, and I woke up with a bruise. Really? I had another when I was at school, and I got a bruise on my neck. So? You must be wondering where these injuries come from. Yes, they just appear. When he touches me, I get hurt. This last time, too? Yes. Could it be? Do you think it's possible that you're hurting yourself? Why would I do that? I don't know. Why would you do that? I don't know, because I didn't. Do you really think I'm faking this? No. I think you may be causing the injuries you're reporting, but I don't think... I don't believe you're faking anything. But you think I'm crazy. I think... I wonder if something might be bothering you. Like what? Like what? Stop it! Stop repeating what I say! I'm sorry. I know it can be annoying. I'm asking you to tell me what might be bothering you. Ugh. Okay. Okay. They probably told you that my mom died when I was young. When I was really young. But people die all the time. She had something wrong with her and she died. People die. It happens. I get that. I got that then. This is not about her. This is something else. Like what? Okay. Just listen. Someone, this man, is trying to hurt me. I know he's just a dream, but he can hurt me. Tell me about him. Does he hate you? Do you think that's why he's hurting you? He doesn't hate me. He... He wants me. I think... I think I belong to him. I, I mean, he thinks that. Is there anyone else who loves you and hurts you? Like who? Nick? Dad? Like them. Stop that! Do they hurt you? You're trying to make me say something that's not true! My dad loves me. He would never hurt me. Nick loves me. He would never, ever hurt me. Stop saying that. Well, there are other options. Some forms of mental illness, like schizophrenia, come on in the teen years. Do you hear voices? Do you see things? I'm not crazy! Miss Dawson, I'm not attacking you. I'm here to help you. I'm trying to figure out how. There is a long silence as Jessie struggles with her anger and fear. 
The psychiatrist finally takes out his prescription pad and writes out a script for an anti-anxiety medication. I think we've done enough for today. Get this filled on your way home and start taking them right away. They may help you with the dreams. And I'd like you to come back in a couple of days so we can talk some more. I don't need pills. I have a lot of training and a lot of experience with anxiety disorders. Your doctor recommended me. Jesse takes the script. Fine, fine, fine. I'll take the pills. I'll see if they work. But they won't, because this is real. It's really happening. Why don't you come back in two days at 3 p.m.? Fine, whatever. The psychiatrist leans forward to hand her a card. You can reach me 24 hours a day at those numbers. Please, call me if you need me. If you have any more dreams, if you see or feel anything that really disturbs you, reach out. I can help. Jessie nods, creaks to her feet, stands. Jessie, these things happen sometimes. We can figure out what's going on if we work together. Yeah. Yes, doctor. Thank you for trying to help me. Jessie stumbles out the door. Jesse marches down the stairs towards campus, Amanda and Barbara in tow. So, basically, I'm insane. My mom died about a million years ago. Eleven years ago. And I'm apparently just figuring it out. If I'd lost my mom... But you didn't! I did! And I'm telling you, I'm over it! I loved her. She loved me. We were happy. But people die. That's what happens. I'm not the first kid who's ever lost a parent. Couldn't it? Jessie turns on her. What? Jessie, couldn't it be something else? What? Didn't anything else happen to you when you were young? What? I broke my arm in the fourth grade? My bike got stolen? What are you talking about? Barbara and Amanda share a look and shake their heads. You should keep going to the doctor. It's no big deal, right? People need help sometimes. I do need help. This guy in my dreams... You dreamed him, right? Doesn't that mean you're trying to kill you? Barb, we should let the doctors... I have to go. I was out a week and now I'm behind in everything. I'll do what you all want me to do, but it's not going to help. I'm not sick and I'm not crazy. Jessie strides off at just under a run, leaving a stunned Amanda and Barbara behind. Jessie exits her biology class into a long, crowded hall. She keeps her head down as she shoulders her book bag and dials her cell phone. She puts the phone to her ear and hears a ring that sounds like a witch cackle down the hall. She walks towards the sound and finds herself face to face with Kat. Kat hangs up. About time you called me. Where have you been? Jessie hangs up her phone and wipes tears from her face. Trouble in paradise? I said it was too soon. Jessie turns and leads Kat out of the building. It's not Nick. What then? Your grades? Your dad? It's something serious. Jesse doesn't say anything. Ah, dream lover. The Rose King. It would have to be, wouldn't it? Jesse plunks herself down on a patch of grass under an autumn tree. Cat drops down beside her. They watch the colorfully dressed students walk by. I'm seeing a shrink. He says, the doctor says... I'm having panic attacks. But this guy, I know he doesn't exist, but he's trying to kill me. Honey, even I think that sounds crazy, and I believe in leprechauns. What's wrong with me? 
Why don't people just listen to what I'm saying? I am listening. But do you really want me to believe you? Yes! Really? You want me to believe a guy who can find you in dreams has the ability and the desire to kill you? Because you have to sleep, don't you? If there's some guy who wants you dead, who can find you whenever you close your eyes, you're a goner. So I must be crazy. Maybe you're just a little bit crazy. Isn't everyone? I'm just a little bit crazy. Jesse stares off into the distance. We learn to accept some crazy in others, so why not accept it in yourself? A little crazy tolerance. That's what's needed. I'm going to go home now, do some homework. I'll believe you if you ever want me to. Okay. Call me again. I want to hang out. I will. Keep going to your doctor. Jesse nods and starts walking away. Bye, cat. See you, Jesse. Jesse enters the apartment to find Nick washing dishes in their tiny kitchen. As she drops her backpack on the table, he tosses her a paper bag which has been resting next to him on the counter. Heads up. Those are the pills. I found the prescription this morning and picked them up from the pharmacy on my way home. Jesse opens the bag, takes out the bottle, and reads the label. Nick, meanwhile, fills a glass with water. A month's supply. Four times a day. I guess so. Okay. She slips the pills into a pocket. You want to start now? He holds out the glass. Sure. Jessie opens the bottle, places a pill on her tongue, takes the glass and drinks the water. She opens her mouth for Nick to inspect. Ah, uh, happy? Nick looks anything but. We have to start somewhere. I've been to the hospital, seen the doctor, talked to the psychiatrist. I think I'm fully engaged in this process. Nick pulls her into his arms for a long moment then turns his attention back to the dishes. Jesse leaves the room, walks to the bathroom, spits the pill out in the sink and turns on the water. She watches the medication spiral down the drain. I'm not crazy. Jesse watches the psychiatrist make a note in her folder. So, you feel better? Yes. All better? Much better. Those pills, I guess they work. I'm less anxious. Those pills normally take a couple of weeks to work. Okay. So how am I allowed to feel? Is there some happiness number I need to be aware of? Maybe I should laugh less. Have you had any more dreams? No. Can we talk about something else? Like? Can I ask you about your mother? Yeah, definitely. She's dead. That's the most important thing you need to know about my mom. She is dead. She died when I was seven. I missed her for a really long time because I loved her. But I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I've gotten over losing her. It has been more than a decade. Is that possible? Do you think people get over losing mothers that way? She was really sick for a long time. Jesse thinks. Man, I don't know. At the time... At the time, I thought she was old. She looked old, and she slept a lot. She was sick for a really long time. From the time I was about three or so. It's not okay when kids die, but when older people do. That seems sad, but normal. What do you remember about her dying? Let's see. People made me be quiet all the time. 
grandma and grandpa were around. They said I couldn't run in the house. I spent a lot of time playing with my friends. She got lots of flowers. Roses mostly, lots of roses. She liked mums, but people didn't know, and roses are what people send when you're dying. Later, after she died, it was lilies. And then, finally, the flower thing stopped. I suspect you don't much like roses. It's a flower. I think I would have missed my mom more, but I had good friends. Really? Amanda, Barb, David, lots of kids on my block. We'd ride our bikes to the park, to the candy store. Amanda and Barb are going to school here. We're like, we're like the three musketeers. And David? What happened to him? Who? Amanda, Barb, and David were the three musketeers? No, we were. I, I mean, Amanda, Barb, and me. And David? He was just gone one day. Kids disappear sometimes. People take them away, so they don't have time to say goodbye. Yeah, today, gone tomorrow. It happens. Not really. Not to everyone. Not everyone dies before their children grow up. And not every kid moves away from his friends without warning. Jesse stares at him. Yeah. I expect for a seven-year-old kid that was traumatic. Good to know. I guess I'm cured. Why are you so angry? Because you pretend to be nice. Everyone does. You, my father, Nick, my friends. You all think I'm ill and you're trying to be nice. So to make you happy, I have to say that I think I'm crazy too. You all say I'm doing great and it's okay to be a little crazy. Okay as long as I get better. So really, it's not okay. It's not okay at all. Maybe I can't learn to live like this. You don't have to learn to live. Jesse stands up. You know what? You can't tell me what I have to learn to live with and what I don't. You want to know the truth? I don't think I'm crazy. I don't think I am at all. Jessie looks at her watch. Our session's almost over, and I'm going to go. Maybe I can deal with all this tomorrow. Jessie is out the door before the doctor can say another word. Jessie lies next to a sleeping Nick, eyes wide open. The clock near the bed reads 3.25 a.m. After a long moment, careful not to disturb him, she gets up, pulls on his plaid robe, walks through the house into the kitchen, and starts a pot of coffee. She collects her bag, sits at the table, unpacks her books. She sits staring at her homework, head on one hand. Her eyes close. For a long moment, she's still. Her head starts to fall forward, and she jerks awake. Then, hurriedly, she grabs a green highlighter, cracks a book, and starts to read. Jessie exits her late afternoon biology class into a crowded hall. She looks gaunt and hollow-eyed. She bumps hard into a passing guy and her book bag falls. Pencils, pens, and notebooks fly everywhere. Jessie watches as the guy, unaware, walks on. She warily drops her knees and begins collecting all the stuff that's fallen out. Jess? Jessie looks up. Hi, Kat. Kat kneels down to help her. What happened to you? You look like hell. I'm just tired. Are you still having bad dreams? Nah, they're gone. They both rise. Do they have you on drugs? What kind? Anti-anxiety stuff. I I'd love to talk, but I have to get to the library. Jesse, are you sleeping? Like, at all? Of course. Because that's totally going to work. I mean, if you don't sleep, you can't dream. That's not funny, Kat. I'm sorry. 
I, I didn't mean to make fun of you. I, I want to help. I'm okay, Kat. I'll see you around. Jesse starts walking away. Jesse sits at a small desk in a dimly lit corner of the university library. Florida-ceiling shelves contain thousands of volumes. Jesse's books are spread out before her and a tall stack of periodicals rests on a nearby chair. She looks tired, haggard. She glances at her phone, which indicates it is 9.48 p.m. She slides all her stuff into her bag and stands. As she walks away from the desk, passing aisle after aisle, shelf after shelf of books, she sees there's no one else left on the floor. She opens the door, enters a stairwell, and realizes, belatedly, it's entirely dark. She steps back and runs into someone. She turns around. It's the Rose King. He's dressed in jeans, boots, a white t-shirt, and a leather jacket. It's getting late. Jesse stumbles away from him, into the dark stairwell, and runs, falls, down the steps. One flight, two flights, three. She stumbles out an emergency exit and alarm blares. She finds herself standing on a walled access road that runs behind the library and half a dozen other tall school buildings. The walls that line the access road are 30 feet high. Jesse turns back to the door just as it slams shut. She runs up the access road, keeping close to the buildings and looking for somewhere to hide. Cardboard boxes and other garbage litter the long cement corridor. A hundred yards away, there's an exit delivery trucks can take to the street. Before that, though, there are only loading docks and poorly lit gaps between buildings. The emergency door opens again, and Jessie drops behind the cement ramp of a loading dock. Jess. She sees the Rose King walking up the alley. A large gray and white dog walks with him. Find her. The dog begins to run, then somehow becomes three dogs that race up the access road, probing every nook, cranny, and trash can. Jessie keeps low and backs up, then slides around the corner of the building attached to the loading dock she's near. There's a chain-link fence at the end of this little alley. The gate in it is loosely chained. She squeezes through and dives behind a dumpster. She crouches like a child playing hide-and-seek. Jesse hears the dogs running down the little alley and sniffing the fence. Jess, there's nowhere to run. Jesse pushes the dumpster away from the wall and discovers a bent bike wheel and some cast-off roses. She squeezes past them, piles empty boxes in front of her. I want to wake up. I'm dreaming... I have to wake up. She digs her fingernails into her palms, opens and closes her eyes over and over again. This isn't real. She hears the dog scrabble through the gate. One, two, three. She hears the Rose King as he ducks into the chain and padlock just like she did. The dogs run past the dumpster and circle back. They probe the boxes she's hiding behind. The three dogs stretch into three men. As before, they have pelts slung over their naked shoulders. The Rose King comes to stand in front of them. Jessie closes her eyes. It's just a dream. It's just a dream. It's not real. Wake up, Jess. Wake up. That's all you have to do. The dumpster she is hiding behind is pulled away. The men stand around her. Jessie opens her eyes as the Rose King crouches down. Stay away! It's okay. Don't be afraid. Jesse screams as he moves to touch her. Jesse wakes up seated at the table in the library where she has fallen asleep among her books. She is screaming. A middle-aged librarian, a college girl, and a guy wearing a university hoodie are standing around her. The guy has his hand on her shoulder and he's shaking her. The librarian is on the phone. She's on the second floor. Jesse stops screaming, looks around, stands up. The guy steps back and looks at her. Are you okay? The librarian is still on the phone. 
She's awake now, but I think you should still send someone. Jessie, gasping, hand against her heart, shakes her head. No, no, it's, it's just a panic attack. The doctor told me... The college guy takes her hand, places the tips of his fingers on her wrist. Yeah, your, your heart's racing. It's really racing. Jessie pulls her hand away. It's okay. It happens. And you're really pale. I think you should go to the hospital. I was just there. It's, it's panic. I, I just haven't been sleeping well. She looks around and stands up. Look, I'm fine. I'm on my feet. Just let me go home. The college guy steps back and assesses her. Is there someone at home who could take care of you? Is there someone you want us to call? No, I just have to get home. There, There's someone there. I'll drive you. I can take the bus. Or we can wait for the ambulance. They're almost here. Jesse looks at the college guy. Okay. Okay, thanks. You can drive me home. The college guy pulls his car up outside Jesse's apartment building. Jesse sits for a long moment in weary silence. She turns to look at the guy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so much trouble. Hey, I EMT during the ski season, so I'm, I'm kind of used to a good scare. I know you said it was a panic attack and that you've just been to the hospital, but I really think you should go back to the doctor. Your pulse seems really tacky to me. It could be something else. I will. Really? I promise. Good. Jesse opens the door and steps out of the car. Thanks. I'm just a mess at the moment. Just a total mess. But I'll be okay soon. Don't worry. Everyone's taking care of me. In the first year, it's really hard. Lots of people freak out. I know. Jesse closes the door. Nick stands by the picture window in the living room. It overlooks the street. He has a cup of coffee in his hand, and his face is grim. He turns as Jess enters. You're really late. I fell asleep in the library. Who drove you home? Some guy. I don't know his name. There's a long pause as Nick waits for her to go on. Just some guy, Nick. He offered me a lift. And you took it? Why not? I didn't want to ride the bus. Nick stares at her. Jessie moves into the kitchen, pours herself a cup of coffee, sits at the table. Nick comes over, takes the cup, walks it back to the kitchen, and pours it in the sink. We need to talk. Nick, I fell asleep in the library. That guy and some other people found me. He offered me a lift home so I didn't have to ride the bus. It's no big deal. You aren't sleeping. You aren't eating. What's going on? Are you taking drugs? Are you having an affair? Does the doctor know? Maybe I am. What? Maybe I am having an affair. Jesse rises, moves towards him. Maybe I am having an affair, Nick. Jess turns and walks into their bedroom. Nick follows and stands in the doorway as she undresses. That's it, all right? I'm that girl you always thought I was. Jess. Jessie is down to her bra and underwear. The bruise over her heart is black in the half-light. I've been screwing all these guys, Nick. After you go to sleep, I go out. Sometimes they come here. And... I've been afraid to confess. Afraid to tell you what I've done. What I let them do to me. Jessie walks towards him naked. It's... I don't want to tell you. I... So many men have had me, Nick. One, two, three at a time. I can't 
I can't tell you what I've done. I have to show you. I have to show you what they make me do. This is seriously screwed up. Jesse stands inches from him, reaches up and pulls his head down. For a second he is still, then he kisses her long and deep. Chapter 5 Jesse, dressed in a thin, form-fitting white shift, walks through shallow water on the edge of a beach. Tiny waves, some only an inch high, lap against her feet. The sky above and around her is glorious, beautiful, golden. Just behind Jess, on the beach, two women and a man walk. They are staring at the ground. Each walks alone, the same tempo, apparently oblivious to one another and to Jess. The women wear white shifts. The man wears what look like white pajamas. From time to time, they lean down to pick things up. Flakes of something drift down from the sky like snow. Jessie holds out her hand, and what falls into it looks like paper ash. It flutters away. She turns in the direction it travels and discovers the Rose King walking with her. Behind him, the placid sea is painted with fire by an illuminated sky. He looks warm, healthy, relaxed, and strong. Jessie looks forward, continues walking. David stops, reaches down into the water, and retrieves something. The thing is, Jess, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run. Jesse stops, turns to look at him. Without meeting her eyes, he takes her left hand. He slips a ring on the third finger. It is a ruby rose that glitters like it's on fire. The Rose King looks up. All roads lead here. Jesse looks up. Above them, in infinite slow motion, a commercial passenger plane is exploding. Its belly has been ripped open. Fractions of people, exploded insulation and ash are falling, slow inch by slow inch from the sky. Stretching up the beach behind her are hundreds of people, all walking slowly, all oblivious to one another. I will never let you go. Jessie jerks her hand away. Jessie's eyes fly open. She sits up in bed and looks at her hand. Nick, head propped up on one hand, watches her. You just went to sleep. I had a dream. Another dream? Jessie throws the covers back. You know, I'm so behind on my schoolwork and I'm not really tired. I'm going to study. Nick takes her hand to still her motion. Is there someone else? No. Are you sure? Please, Nick. Please. I can't do this. I can't do this, too. I told you what you wanted to hear. It was a game. You know there's no one else. You need to go back to the doctor. Jessie wriggles out of bed, pulls on her robe. I don't. It didn't help. Let me deal with it, okay? I'm an adult. Nick studies her. You should get some rest, Nick. I know you're tired. Jessie walks into the living room, collects a cup of cold coffee, and sits on the couch. She picks up the remote, turns on the TV. A TV anchor stands before a map of the Gulf. So we're hearing that the plane took off from New Orleans at 5.41 this morning and exploded over the Gulf moments ago. We have an update from the scene now. Walter. Walter Banks reporting from INCN Channel 9. A terrible morning here in Louisiana. More than 200 people have died and their bodies litter the beach. Behind Ted, Jesse can see the beach she was just on. 
the wreckage of a passenger plane sticks out of the shallow water. Jessie sits across from the psychiatrist. Nick, sitting beside her, holds her hand. So, you saw the plane crash in your dream? It was above me, exploding. People, pieces of people were falling. And this man was there? Jessie nods. And he spoke to you? Jessie nods again. He said... Jessie stares at her hand. Would you like Nick to leave? Sometimes dreams are very private. Jessie shakes her head. No. He said... He said I belonged to him. It's just a dream, Jess. Let's let her speak, Nick. Jess, who do you think he is? What? I don't know. I think you do. It's all I've thought about. Your mind has conjured him up. Do you know who he is? I don't. But I think if you let yourself remember, you'll know. It's just a dream, Doc. It's just a crazy dream. It doesn't mean anything at all. Nick, this is important to her, or she wouldn't be having such a strong reaction. He's someone she made up, right? A guy she imagined. Because of her mom and the stress of school, he doesn't really exist. He's real, Nick. He's very real. I think he does exist. Nick shrugs, then looks at Jesse. Tell him the rest, Jess. I stopped taking those pills. Jesse looks at Nick, then back at the doctor. Actually, I never took them. I didn't need them. I'm not crazy. I'm not having panic attacks. You never took them? He's staring at her. I didn't want to, Nick. Do you still have them? Nick is still staring at her. Yes. I want you to start taking them, Jesse. I want you to try them for a couple of weeks, and then you can decide if they help. It won't. It won't be the only thing we do. It's just one thing. I went to school for a long time. I've treated a lot of patients. You've tried your solutions, and they aren't working as well as you'd like. It's time we work together. I can't believe you never took them. I'm sorry. We just need a little time. Except, Doctor, suddenly I don't feel like there's any time left to give you. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? No, I'm saying... I think he'll come for me. Feelings are just feelings, Jess. Children are afraid of the dark even when there's nothing there. There is time, Jess. There is. You're a young woman. You have... We have all the time in the world. No one has all the time in the world, Nick. Jessie stands up and walks out of the office, leaving the door open. Nick rises to follow her. Nick? I have to go after her. I know you're scared. What kind of doctor are you? Why are you feeding her all this crap? Her mystery man does exist. Maybe he's someone she knows. Maybe he's someone she knew. Maybe he's a placeholder for a traumatic experience she's trying to remember. But she's drawing him into her dreams for a reason. What the hell are you talking about? What matters is that he's real to her. That is what is important. The more you argue with her belief that he exists, the more you force her to defend it. Accept the possibility that he's real. That's crap. He's just a dream. She has to accept that. Nick catches up to Jessie as she walks down the street. He pulls her into his arms. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Jessie's arms hang at her sides. Her eyes are vacant. We believe. I believe you're frightened. That you're scared. But there is nothing to be afraid of. How can you say that? How can you know for sure? All those people. I saw it happen. 
He made me watch those people die. No. Maybe you have hyper-acute hearing and there was someone next door with the TV on. Maybe you saw the news report when you woke up and your subconscious folded it into what you remembered of your dream. I don't know. What I do know is you're afraid of the boogeyman when he doesn't exist. Jessie closes her eyes, lets her head rest against Nick's chest. I just want everything to be like it was. Jessie, Barbara, and Amanda are walking to campus. Jessie is staring at the ground, lost in her thoughts. If only I could figure out what he wants from me. What who wants? Why don't you listen? The guy who doesn't exist? She doesn't know what he wants? He does exist. Even the doctor said he does. Or did. He wants to help me figure it out. I don't think this guy is someone I know. How could he be? I've never known anyone so... cruel. And you either know someone or you don't. You've either met them or you haven't. Jess, do you think it could be? What? Amanda looks at Barbara. We should let her doctor deal with this. But she doesn't remember. Remember what? Jess, just after your mom died. This is not about my mom. Uh, Around when your mom died. Do you remember what else happened? What? Barbara, you're not a doctor. The doctor says he's real. Someone she knew. Who else could he be? What are you talking about? Jesse, what happened to David? Do you remember the boy we used to play with? He was just a little older than us. Jesse has reached her class. I remember. He moved away. Barbara grabs Amanda's arm. You are not her doctor. Cat passes by. Jesse looks after her. I have to go. Wait. Jesse runs into the building to catch up with Cat. Cat! Cat, stop! Cat turns to look at Jesse. Jesse! Hi! Ah, and you still look like hell. In fact, you look worse than ever. Why is that? Remember when I said I didn't want you to believe me? Well, now I do. I really do. I thought you were going to the doctor, doing what he said. I am. I mean, I'm going to. But the dream guy. I need you to believe me. I need someone to believe me. Kat and Jessie sit at a small table in a campus coffee shop. A pair of bikes are parked nearby. Kat stares into her chai tea. Jessie drinks water. Well, that's horrifying. Are you sure you didn't see the TV thing first and just forget? Maybe it got worked into your dream. I mean, that happens. It's possible. If I'm insane, anything's possible. But I remember walking on that beach and waking up to see Nick looking at me and then turning on the TV. That's what I remember. I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe you're being haunted. Maybe this creature picked you up on a street or died in your father's house and now he's stuck to you like glue. Does that happen? I don't know, I guess. If you promise to keep going to the doctor, I'll find someone, some kind of shaman to help you with this other thing that might be going on. You can't help me? (laughs) I'm just a kitchen witch, parlor magic, and love spells. But with a little money, it's not too expensive. We can get help from someone who does real magic. Normally, I won't pay for this stuff, but in this case, I I think we have to. I can pay. She reaches into her purse and pulls out a credit card. Kat shakes her head. You'll pay whoever I find, not me. I can't promise you anything instantly, but there has to be someone around here that 
does dreams, okay? They'll see you and they'll tell you what they think they know. Thank you so much. And just in case you have lost your mind, you'll keep going to the doctor. It can't hurt to do both, right? Jessie is now staring at a large gray and white dog standing by Kat's chair. Jessie? Jessie forces herself to look away from the dog. She rises, leans over, hugs Kat, and moves the chair between herself and the animal. I... I have to go. Please find someone as soon as you can. Jessie is enduring yet another romantic dinner with Nick. A single rose rests on the dining table in their apartment. Their candles, red wine, the remains of a meal. I was thinking, today you said there was no tomorrow. I'm feeling better now. I can see that. I don't mind seeing the doctor. Nick reaches into his pocket and pulls out a ring box. There is a tomorrow. Jessie slowly reaches out to take the box, opens it. It's a ring. It is, in fact, the same ring the Rose King gave her in her dream. It's a rose. It was my mother's. A rose. Ruby's. Let me put it on. Jessie snaps the box shut, holds it. I don't understand. I want you to marry me. It'll be a long engagement, a couple of years, but I... But you want to prove to me that there's a tomorrow. Because there is. Jessie puts the box back on the table, places her hand over it. I don't know if I can accept this. I am so screwed up right now. I can't inflict myself on you. Inflict yourself? I'm insane, right? How do you know if I'm the one for you? Put it on. Nick, I can't. Nick rises, leaves the room, returns with a gold chain. He takes the ring from the box and hangs it around her neck. When you're ready, you'll put it on. Jessie weeps in a psychiatrist's office. You're taking your medicine? Jessie nods. It takes time to work. Jessie nods again. How well are you sleeping? Takes Jessie a long time to respond. I can't sleep for more than 15 to 20 minutes. But I sleep all the time. I can't concentrate. I'm failing all of my glasses. Do you dream? Jessie shakes her head, wipes away another tear. Shall we talk more about the man in your dreams? The the one that scares you? Jessie raises her eyes to look at him. You think he's a real person? I believe it's very likely someone you know, or knew. And he scares you because of what he represents. It's just a guess. The more you talk about him, the clearer our understanding of him will become. I've never seen him before. Not even in a book or magazine. Tell me again what he says to you. <sighs> that I belong to him. I will never let you go. Jesse looks around. What does he want? Me. Does he want to hurt you? Jesse thinks for a long time. He does hurt me. What else does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He doesn't want you to be afraid. So he's not trying to hurt you. Maybe he's trying to help you. He writes that down. Who does he remind you of? No one. Could it be... Jessie stands up. At her feet is the gray and white dog. Doctor, there's no time. Do you understand? I can't wait for the pills to make them go away. Them? There has to be something else. Why can't you wait? What is making this intolerable? 
Jesse says nothing. Are you seeing things? Hearing things? He's looking at the floor, trying to see what she sees. Jesse looks at the doctor. Doctor, I'm very tired. I'd give anything to sleep. Just sleep and not dream. The psychiatrist stands, moves to his desk, unlocks a drawer. Okay, I'm going to give you something now which will help you sleep for several hours. Will you go home and take it? He hands her a packet of pills. I have one more class today. I think you should go home and sleep. Lack of sleep will give you hallucinations. What about school? I would like you to call someone to stay with you while you sleep. I need to know that you're safe. Do you want me to call Nick for you? Shall I ask him to meet you at home? Jesse nods. The dog has risen as well. I don't want to be alone. Jesse picks up her bag, walks to the door, and leaves the office. The dog follows like a pet. As Jesse walks to the bus stop, her phone rings. She glances at its screen. It says cat. She answers. I found someone who can help you. I think it's too late. What? Why? Never mind. Can you come now? Come where? I'm with him now. He says he wants me to ask you if you can come right away. I'm supposed to go home. She looks down and to her left to see the dog walking with her. What's the address? Chapter 6. Jesse stands outside a shop staring at a rose emblazoned on its window. The mystic rose. Of course. I won't let you go. Jesse puts a hand over her heart. Please stop. Don't be afraid. Please. She enters the shop. Kat stands in a curtained doorway behind the counter inside the mystic rose. Jesse looks around to see bottles of herbs and fluids crowd every wall. Strange implements fill up baskets. There's a wand display, a knife display, goblets. Jesse walks towards Kat and, in the process, steps into a circle around a pentagram drawn on the floor. She drops to one knee. No. Are you okay? No, Jesse. And for a second, the Rose King is crouching beside her, his face close to hers, one hand on her shoulder. I won't let you go. Jesse? A man, tall, bearded, slender, enters the room via the curtain door. He's wearing a white linen robe and he studies Jesse carefully. He raises his hand, and suddenly, Jesse is alone. She rises, looks around. Well, your friend is right. You've got a hitchhiker. A what? Something, someone, seems to be stuck to you. Who is it? The shaman stares at her for a long moment. Then he pulls the curtain aside to reveal a second, larger room. Let's see if we can find out. The second room of the shop is open, airy, with warm beige walls, a large skylight, and a raised wood floor. Inlaid into the highly polished surface of the floor is a large five-pointed star within a circle. A circular skylight, formed by concentric circles of glass and radiating spokes, fills most of the ceiling. Incense burns and hangs in the still air. The man pulls a white silk shift off a hook on a wall and tosses it to Jesse. Please change into that. Jesse stares at him, weaving slightly. Why? I want to make sure whatever is attached to you isn't tied to something you carry. He leaves the room and Jessie undresses. She puts the rose ring necklace on top of her pile of clothes. Kat watches from her post near the door. You're so thin. I can't eat. I can't sleep. A moment later, the shaman returns. 
He gestures at the pentagram. Put your head at the top. Jessie lies in the middle of the pentagram, her head in the eastern point of the star. The man moves around the room lighting candles. He whispers as he works. Jessie looks up at the skylight. The concentric rings and spokes remind her of a wheel. They begin to spin. Close your eyes. I waited for you. Think of nothing. Let the pictures come. Don't be afraid. He's talking. What's he saying? I waited for you. Don't be afraid. Ala iskalor ignitem firem kolum kehise kanar karvi. Jessie sees a bicycle wheel spinning, a little girl's legs pumping. She's going as fast as she can. He won't wait for her. He never waits. He makes her catch up. I see a wheel. A wheel's a, a bike. Karnem hayem korjem. Young David is riding ahead of her down her street. He's a gloriously healthy, happy prince of a boy. Magical. He looks over his shoulder. Jessie calls out. Wait for me. The boy turns to find a rambling rose delivery truck sliding out of a driveway just ahead. He lazily curves his bike down the next driveway and into the street to avoid it. Now that he's out of the way, Jesse sees Amanda and Barbara on bikes a block ahead. Everyone is going to the park. There's a smash, breaking glass. Jesse opens her eyes. The skylight is still spinning. The man she came to see is still chanting. Cat still stands by the door. Oh God! Oh God! Her hand flies to her chest. It feels like her heart is being ripped out. I can't go out there. Jessie gets off her bike, lets it fall to the ground. She walks into the street. She's not supposed to be there. There's a green car with a broken window and the flower truck with its rear doors flung wide. But where's David? Jessie walks around the car. People are already running. Barbara and Amanda are riding toward her on the sidewalk. The three musketeers. Oh, God. Please. Oh, God, please. David has been hit by the green car. He and his bike have flown over it. He's lying behind it in roses. Red roses, mostly, are everywhere. Thrown out of the van in the driver's panic stop that just missed running over the boy for a second time. The boy's face is turned towards Jesse. He's staring at her with dilated eyes. He's trying to speak. Jessie falls to her knees. Oh, no. Jessie creeps forward, takes his hand, holds it. Don't be afraid. Tears are running down his beautiful face. I'll never let you go. David's eyes roll back in his head and he shakes. Jessie's eyes fly open in the Mystic Rose Sanctuary and she screams. David, the Rose King, kneels inside the circle, his hand plunged into her chest. His face is grim. Cat and the shaman are struggling to pull her out of the circle. But she's rooted there. He jerks hard. Jesse convulses. The world goes dark. Jesse lies in a hospital bed wired to machines. Nick sits beside her, holding her hand. At the foot of her bed, there are a dozen roses in a glass vase. Jesse stirs and Nick leans forward. It hurts. I know, Jess. She turns to look at him puts her free hand to her eyes and turns her face away. It's okay. Jesse's body shakes. Every breath is an effort. It's your heart, Jess. That's what it's been all along. 
They didn't do enough tests. They didn't know. Jesse turns her head to look at him. Her eyes fall on the roses. Your heart. There's a valve. It was leaking. There's been restricted blood flow, atrophy. But it's not like with your mom. The doctors, they can do more. Heart transplants and... Where's David? Honey, you're sick. David's gone. He died a long time ago. You forgot. No. He got hit by a car. It was an accident. Do you remember? Amanda told me you'd forgotten. I forgot. It was an accident. You forgot because you were scared. I'm so sorry. Honey. From a pocket, Nick pulls the chain and ring he retrieved from the ambulance. He takes the ring off the chain as he speaks. You're sick now. But one day we'll get married, and we'll have kids, and we're going to have a... Happily ever after. Jessie watches him slip the ring on her finger. A happily ever after. Jessie stares at the rose ring on her hand. The rubies look like drops of blood. Your dad is here. So let me go get him, okay? I know he wants to see you. Nick rises and leaves the room. David walks down the hospital hall past Nick into Jesse's room. He stands in the doorway for a moment and meets Jesse's eyes. Then he moves to stand by the bed. I waited a lifetime. There's nothing left for you here. It's time for happily never after. Jesse's hand moves to her heart again. She winces. Don't be afraid. David brushes her hand away from her heart, replaces it with his own. This time, let go. He reaches into her chest and pulls. Jessie gasps and her eyes fly open. Jessie, whole and healthy, rises from the hospital bed. Her eyes are dilated black pupils. She melts into David's arms and they kiss. Jessie looks down at the bed to see her corpse, eyes wide, mouth open in surprise. Then she lets David usher her from the room. As they pass the glass vase filled with roses, David knocks it to the floor. The glass shatters and the roses fly. Jesse and David pass Nick and Jesse's father as they enter her room. At the end of the hall waits a three-headed gray and white dog. Jesse kneels at young David's side, one hand on his heart, the other pressing his hand to her chest. A young Amanda and Barbara and a small crowd of neighbors have encircled David and Jesse. As sirens get closer, they are watching, watching a little girl speak to a dead boy. I'll never let you go. Never let you go. Never let you go.
In the Rose King Voice Audio Recording Copyright 2013 by Nancy Fulton. Music licensed from Pond 5 All Rights Reserved.